Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today we're recording down in, uh, is this Ashburn? Dulles. Mm-hmm. Dulles. Sterling, Dulles. Yeah. In Virginia somewhere. Yeah. By at, the airport is what we like to say. Okay. At Ocelot Brewing Company. I'm joined by Adrian Widman, the founder and owner of this brewery. Correct. Thank you so much for uh, taking time and having us down. My pleasure. It's a long time coming. And this uh, this goes it goes as delicious. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Um so most of our episodes, we start out just by getting your backstory. How, what were you doing before you um, even had an idea that you wanted to open a brewery? How'd you get into brewing? And just basically, uh, tell us about yourself. All right. Um, the fast story, I guess, or the quick story, if you want, is uh, I was a network engineer. Um, I was working down at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I was one of their network and systems admins. And I fell in love with craft beer. So I spent a lot of money trading beers and following forums and going to festivals. And then my wife told me we couldn't afford that anymore because it was too expensive. And I was working for a nonprofit, so that made sense. Um, And she challenged me to learn how to make it. So I did. Um, What was the... Sorry to interrupt your story mm -hmm. real quick. What was the name of the beer you... You recently did with the center. F- that one's called Hope. Hope. Yep. So it was it was around when Hope was released. I was mm-hmm. listening to Elliot in the morning. Yep. I didn't realize that Runaway Train, the video mm-hmm. for it, had um, photos yes. uh, and contact information for missing children, yes. and they actually were able to find a substantial number of those children because That's of awesome. that video. And what they actually did was, when you're watching it on whatever um, channel is actually playing it, they take your IP address and they locate where you're coming from, and they only show you photos of that area. Yeah, so, so if now you're in like, California, you're going to see different pictures than if you're in Virginia. Yeah, because it's a new updated website, right? Yeah. That, that plays that, mm-hmm. and then they... They so, insert the different pictures. So that was where you're a really cool... Yeah. And I imagine having worked there previously is how um the beer hope was yes yeah for sure I, I love everybody over there um from from the from the top guy down to the bottom people and i shouldn't say bottom but you know what i mean for the the scale the hierarchy of the yeah every one of them is fantastic and they dedicate their lives to to doing this every day and it's hard um uh, i just am greatly appreciative to be able to be a part of that for some time that i was so I wanted to keep in touch with them, and I still have a, a lot of them still come here. Um, we have a couple of members that that are that work over there, and so they're always in touch, and we've always tried to find ways to, you know, get together and, and do things that would that would help the center. So you said you were a network engineer there. Mm-hmm. Were you specifically? just managing the network no, or is that I was small I was, enough that you basically did everything no the, we, we had a, a lead network engineer um, Conrad he was he was awesome um, he, he knew way more than I did but I did a lot of the sysadmin stuff um, I specialized in certain units and then I also started doing the firewall work and, uh, and little little network stuff but mostly firewall work and a lot of the, some servers and some admin stuff on workstations so that that's my um, real job at mm-hmm. the newspaper. Said so I I don't feel I would 
do well opening a brewery myself. <laughs> so this is the closest that I can get to getting out of uh, working on computers is to come well, and I, talk I, about beer too. I think beer, um, what came about to me was beer is, is it can be just, it can be engineered is, is what it is. It's, it's like cooking too. It's you, you put in certain ingredients and you do certain procedures and you get a certain outcome. It's not like magic that happens. It's, it's all designed and it's all, it's all engineered really. To, to how you want to do it so my mindset was already there it was just i had to focus it on on, on the beer instead of the, the computers and the network so sorry i i had interrupted you you were at your wife challenged you to learn how to make beer correct yes and i took her up on it and i called uh my brother-in-law at the time and he's like oh i know somebody that makes beer i'll bring him over and we made a batch in the kitchen and it was the most god-awful beer i ever tried in my life <laughs> And I wonder, have you ever met someone that that's claimed that the first time they brewed beer turned out perfect? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I even the first time I home brewed, I brewed it with someone who mm-hmm. had been home brewing for years, and just my additional input into it made it awful. <laughs> I think a lot of what makes homebrew beer um, not. I guess world class is in the fermentation. It's in the procedures of the the temperature and the fermentation, the amount of yeast that is pitched. Um, that that can dictate a whole lot. You can take the greatest recipe and mess up the fermentation, and then the beer sucks. Yeah, I'm always amazed anytime I go to a brewery and they don't have jacketed glycolled uh, fermenters, and the beer actually tastes great. That is strange. Because <laughs> it, it, it's just amazing that yeah. they're able to put out great beer without having 100%. those added tools. Yep. They must be using some kind of magic yeast. I don't know. Or just magic in general. Yeah. I mean, Jasper can talk about that more. I know you're going to talk with him soon, yeah. too. So. Um, Which I'm excited for because I know, I know yeast uh, converts sugars, and mm-hmm. that's about where my knowledge on yeast stops. That is what we use it for. Um, he can tell you more than you ever wanted to know about it <laughs> he's a true genius so actually that'll be a, a i've had um several brewers and brewery owners tell me that they one of the things they think is going to be a differentiating factor between beers going forward is yeast is going to become much more important mm-hmm. that there's so much focus on hops and those things now and historically for flavor that yeast, the importance of di- using different yeasts and experimenting with yeast is going to grow in imp- importance. Do you, f- do you feel that too? Or? To an extent. I think I think what needs to be dialed in mostly is the procedures of how the yeast is used first. And if you can use it for everything it's worth and for, for everything that strain can do, then you can experiment with other ones and see how that does and then alter, alter your recipe accordingly and do your mash temps differently do your fermentation temps differently do your your i mean the grain even you know you can do differently and get something that's going to be a little thicker a little bit thinner or more character or more nose or more flavor or something like that i think most of the microbreweries in the country probably focus more on cleaner profile yeast um as opposed to say belgian yeast that are very in your face with the bananas and with all the different flavors and stuff like that that come out of it. I don't think a lot of American breweries are really embracing that. There are some, but most of them are going for that cleaner kind of yeast. So you made your first home brew. Mm-hmm. It turned out awful. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? 
What was the first? It was supposed to be an IPA, (laughs) but it looked like a brown ale, and it smelled like bananas, and it tasted like hot alcohol. So you messed up from every angle. Every angle, hundred percent. Well, so thankfully that you didn't feel defeated. Um, I did it first. I was like, "Fuck this!" Oh, sorry, can I say that? Uh, not sp- well. I I try not to, but you trust me. I've been told to f off during episodes <laughs> before, so you're fine. Uh, um, I, and if it, we weren't lazy and we were professionals, we would just edit it out. But uh, we don't do any of that. Being semi-professional, <laughs> yes. you don't have to. <laughs> uh, I got challenged to figure out what's wrong with it. Why did that happen? So then I started diving into it. And of course, there was, on that first batch, there was just so much that was wrong. Um, you know, I, I would just change one thing at a time and then see how that affected it until, and do a lot of reading, do a lot of talking, do a lot of research. And so you troubleshot it. Yeah, like exactly. Took the yep. sysadmin yep. network yep. engineer approach to yep. it. So on that first batch, did your. Um, did you say a relative or was a friend? Mm-hmm. It was my brother-in-law. Your, at the time, did yeah. your brother-in-law was he with you, helping you, or yes. he just okay? Yeah, yeah he was there. so even he couldn't save you from the no. Disaster. He had never really made beer either. Oh, okay, it, it was his just buddy also, that, that knew how to make it, and that guy okay. showed up for like three hours. And I'm like, I thought we had to sanitize stuff. He's like, nah. <laughs> so maybe, so maybe he didn't know quite as much as he was no. claiming to. No. I think his idea of a, of a successful brew is does it get you drunk at the end of the day? Okay. It's not the best mentor. No, not at all. But I, I went on and I found some. And there's there's a lot of local people that are that are great. Homebrewers in general are, are awesome. Yeah, and the, the clubs they love yep. to help each other. And, Absolutely. Um, and from what I understand, I I stopped homebrewing a while ago mainly because I found it much easier to just come to people like you and purchase what <laughs> what you're producing than to mm-hmm. do it myself. Um, most breweries are also very open to helping homebrewers yes we have we have a homebrew club that meets here once a month they come actually tomorrow they come the second weekend uh second wednesday of every month yeah every month at seven o'clock and they're open to anybody that wants to come out and learn and join the club if they want to and we give them yeast we help them in any way we can they're they're there's some really good brewers in that in that bunch a lot of them have won a lot of national awards what's the name of it um 50 West. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, you slowly figured out everything that you screwed up in that first batch. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take before you made beer that you enjoyed drinking? Probably about two years um, of a lot of brewing. And, and then I bought, I convinced my wife that I needed to spend like $7,000 on a homebrew kit <laughs> to make the beer I actually wanted. But what happened was when I got that system, I was able to dial in all the procedures because it was equipment that was made to make beer. Yeah. It was designed. Is it like a Sapco? Or- it, was, um, it was a system called Brewer's Hardware out of California, and they custom made it just for me. We had a... Uh, a conical fermenter and I you know, had it in a, in a freezer that was temperature controlled. Oh, wow. I was able to, you went in. all in. Oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I had like an oxygen stone. I had like it, everything to make it just right. And once I was, had could remove all the procedures. That's very hard for homebrewers to also do, you know, the oxygen pickup is really difficult post fermentation for homebrewers to really get out. And that's super important. And when, once that happened, then the beer started coming out exactly the way I designed them. And then I was like, all right, we got something. So before you invested in 
basically a, a small brewery mm-hmm. at your house. Mm-hmm. Had you already had the idea that you were going to open a brewery at some point, or was that still just a hobby? It was in the back of my mind, um, but it didn't. It didn't really all come together until I started figuring out numbers. Because I mean, I essentially I had a, a house. I live in Loudoun County. It's not cheap. I had two kids. Well, at the time, I had I think one kid when I was. Anyway, two kids. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> Some um, number of kids. Yeah, mortgage and all kinds of stuff, and I couldn't exactly just quit my job and not make money yeah. and not support my family. So I had to put everything else together, too. And once I came up with an idea, I ran all the numbers through, and I'm like, this could work. Let's try. And I went to my brother and my best friend and my dad and basically said here's my business plan i'm gonna go to the bank and they read it and they just said here's a check so between them and me we we built the place how um when did ocelot open uh april 2015 okay yeah um were you always in the this whole area of the building or did you the expand room, into- the room we're sitting in right now is an expansion okay yeah yeah because i didn't a lot back and from what i understand um you've grown fairly quickly mm-hmm. in the, in that time frame you've gathered in fact the ocelot has been every time i put out posts asking hey what brewery would you like me to talk mm-hmm. to inevitably several people always like you gotta talk to ocelot you oh, gotta talk to cool. ocelot that makes me feel good thanks you're welcome well thank you for coming on of course this semi-professional <laughs> <laughs> um so how long how long between when you got the idea that you were going to like, hey, this is something maybe it can work to opening Ocelot. So I actually went, I got away from everything. I went to um, South America where my parents live and um, my dad basically said, come on down. No one's gonna bother you for two weeks. Write a business plan. And once I wrote the business plan and sent it out to get a proofread by them and they turned around and said, here's a check. I'm like, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that part didn't take long, but the build out took forever. It was 14 months to build out. And, you know, we did it with ways, you know, my uncle who also invested some, he's a general contractor in DC. So he had a lot of connections of, of, of getting people in. But when you work that way with friends of friends, it kind of, the timelines get a little expanded out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, budgets went up and timelines got pushed. Well, while it's great, it's sometimes mm-hmm. friends aren't always given top priority to other exactly. clients. And, exactly. Yeah. Um, is this a friendly area for opening breweries? Absolutely. That's yeah. a, I, 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 during all of our coverage of um, Maryland's hostility mm-hmm. towards breweries it was often talked about how virginia was very welcoming and encouraging virginia in general is very very good um loudon county specifically is awesome i mean they loudon county and visit loudon they they sponsor us for events they they talk about us like i think before the show i told you dc 101 is coming out next week to do that and and visit loudon's pretty much flipping the bill for for things like that to get more people coming out because they, they really love their, you know, the wineries and the breweries out here, and they want to get people to come out and visit and, and hang out in Loudoun County. So they have the Loco Ale Trail. Yep, and, yep. And, and I'm part of the Loco Association, so, you know, we try to meet, like, once every couple months, and we all get to talk about stuff and help each other. And uh, we're, we're very friendly, and we put on an event once a year 
We're doing a big Halloween bash this year, actually. Oh, cool. Where yeah, at? It's, um, I believe it's at Lansdowne. Um, it should be a lot of fun. I don't know how that's going to turn out. It's going to be like, I don't know, a thousand people dressed up in costumes drinking beer. Oh, wow. So it should be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Flying Dog mm-hmm. used to have a big Halloween party every year. Yeah. That was always a lot of fun, too. We do, too. We love our Halloween party. So ours is going to be the weekend before, and then there's the Loudoun County is going to so be the weekend after. Expand your Halloween fun yeah. one more weekend. Yeah. Halloween's my favorite. Yeah. Um, so how did you come upon the name Ocelot for the brewery? Um, the short answer is it's a song, and everything we do here is music-related. So um, all of our beers are song lyrics, with, with few exceptions. Sometimes collaborations don't have to be. Um, I, I let the other brewery decide if... Sometimes they have something in their mind anyway, and they're like, hey, let's do this. And yeah. That's fine. I don't care. Um, so it's a song name from a band from uh, called Fish. Um, I'm a big Fish fan. I've been a Fish fan for a very long time. But I'm also a fan of a lot of other music, too, and so we have different things. Um, the longer story is the first three names I came up with got shot down by the lawyer. <laughs> what were those? Um, I'm almost embarrassed to tell some of them now, but um, w- one of them I think was already taken by somebody. Um, another one like could have had trademark issues um, along the way, and the third one was just outright bad. I mean, I think I was drunk one night and listening to Pink Floyd, and it was brain damage. And my lawyer's like, you don't want that yeah. as a name. That's going to cause lawsuits. Yeah, like, that's really not something you want plastered across the front <laughs> no. of a can that you're trying to sell to people. No. <laughs> not at all. I don't think TTB would have even approved it. Um, TTB didn't even approve our beer name Side Effects. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Virginia only. ABC approved it, but TTB did not. Huh. They don't want to, I guess, think that. Side Any effects, kind of implied yeah. medical yeah. association. Yeah. And it's just a, a lyric from a song, that's all. So um, my my wife and I, actually, our first dance was to Waste. Nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, I, I loved the the beer you came out with recently, Bridge in Brooklyn. And Castle, yeah. Castle, Castle Brooklyn. sorry, yeah, Castle in Brooklyn. Last keg of that right now. Um, yeah. Graham claims to be a huge uh, Beastie Boy fan right. and did not get the reference at all whenever Shame. I said uh, Castle Shame. in Brooklyn. Uh, my wife came up with that name. I'm a big Beastie Boys fan, too. but uh, That's what we listened to on the it. way down. Nice. Yeah, her and um, her friend in college used to, like, their song, I guess, was Brass Monkey. So they would always go out to the bars and sing Brass Monkey or something. So she always wanted that. I may not be the best parent in the world because mm-hmm. uh, m- both of my girls love the song Brass Monkey nice. also <laughs> because I played in the car. <laughs> um, so that that may also make me a semi-professional parent. And that beer you're drinking is actually licensed to chill. So Oh, no. <laughs> it's not exactly a lyric, but it was based off of that. Yeah, close enough. Um, have you ever gotten received any flack from bands by using no never uh-uh. um i know when we first started we sent an email up to um to fish and and just let them know like hey this is what we're doing and if they were cool with that and we also asked them if we could play their concerts here because the webcasts and stuff like that for and they were awesome they wrote back and they said please go ahead just don't ever charge a cover for you know their stuff or something and you know, we have a fermenter named Trey, so we took a picture of that. And <laughs> I know Trey doesn't drink anymore, but um, so I don't know if he exactly has ever saw it or, or approved of it, but somebody over there did and wrote us back and 
said send us a growler every once in a while and that's totally awesome <laughs> yeah. um and because i'm not uh the sharpest person in the world i didn't notice until you had pointed it out to me at one point that uh, your logo is a guitar pick correct which is also cool i like that one where it's like the guitar pick spirograph yeah. yeah yeah it's the guitar pick like spun around our, our designer dk um he uh he used to be a head designer for Dogfish Head, and he also worked with Lost Rhino locally around here before before we opened. He's got another real job that, that pays him well, but he's a friend of mine, and he always wanted to help us out. And for the first couple of years he did, he would just do things for free beer. And then I finally said, I, I, my conscience can't do this. Yeah. I, I got to pay you. So I put him <laughs> on the payroll. Now that I can. You yeah. have to. <laughs> so he's on the payroll now. But So he does all of our artwork, and um, they just showcased him, I think, like, eight months ago or so at the Hyrick Museum in D.C. Oh, cool. So it was him and a, and a few other breweries and their artists, and, and we had all the, the labels up on the walls and things. So it was really cool. It was nice to see. That That's one of my um, favorite things about craft beer is can art. Yeah. And most breweries just put a lot of effort into making sure that they have beautiful cans. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it all comes from it's supposed to, technically it's supposed to stand out on the shelf, right? Yeah. So it's supposed to grab your eye off the shelf. But a lot of the people that are doing it, you know, um, like Aslan, for instance, they have Mike Van Hall, who's incredible, and they don't really have cans on the shelf. You know, they sell everything out of their brewery. So, um, but it's still cool. It's almost just like trying to put art on the beard, and it lifts it, if you will. We, yeah, it seems like it's a, it serves as a dual purpose yeah. that uh, it's an expression of the brewery. Mm-hmm. They, they use that as a, another way of expressing their art, the beer itself and the packaging. But then, as you already alluded, the necessity of drawing attention. Right. And I wonder, do you look at it too as um, like Instagram has become such an important part of marketing beer is a unfortunately yeah um like i i'm one of the most anti-marketing promotional guys you'll ever meet in the in the business or, or in any commercial business per se I, I don't like it it's it's a necessary evil at this point because people have to know what you're doing yeah i'm just not a fan of overdoing that and trying to like always raise your hand and be like hey look at me look at me look at me and we we try to make sure we don't do it too often to where we're annoying on social media yeah at the same time allowing people to know what we have and what's coming up so that they can prepare or get excited or which which i think is very important for breweries to do and but admittedly i'm probably graham would say addicted to instagram um maybe my wife also mm-hmm. but i i look at it as a very good tool for breweries to use especially breweries that are doing can releases and use it as a way like this is what we have coming out right this is and giving updates then of what's left and what is what's been sold out and and mostly those are going to be guys that are way more popular than us anyway you know people like the Vale or aslan or something where they have to give line updates or they have to give like can updates with because because people don't want to drive out if they're not going to get anything usually our cans will stick around for a couple days do you think that that culture has is starting to subside some it from from an outside view that that seems to be dying down a little bit that um places aren't selling out is instantly it's not hard it's not easy but it's not quite as hard 
to get your hands on it's, what used to be really hard to get. It's strange. I think there's just a lot more out there, and people are spreading their money through a lot more places. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's and I don't yeah, I don't think it's any kind of yeah. negative right. attribution to those breweries like that they're not as popular right. or they're not doing as great a work. It's just that the market has become more diluted by the, um, the mobile canning. Right. So yep. it. The, the ability to have can releases made available to way more places. Correct. There's way more. There's more of it from everywhere. Yeah. I mean, almost all breweries now can bring in the mobile canner. And, you know, we have Ironheart, our mobile canner. They're, they actually rent place from us here. Oh, cool. To store the candy line. Um, so everyone can have a can release, even if it's small amounts of, I don't know. 60 cases or something like that to, to whatever they want. But then the breweries that were doing really well with their can sales also at the same time said, hey, let's take this money and get and make more beer. So you have the you have more cans coming out from these places and you have more places for people to go and get cans. Yeah, a lot of those places have had humongous um, expansions yeah. too. Aslan just yep. oh, yeah. Yeah. finished up there. Yeah, Jack and Dave were there last night for their friends and family. Uh, awesome. Yeah, they had good things to say. Um, Crooked Run yep. used to sell out, I believe, they, didn't they? At one they, time? They, they were, were doing very were... small amounts. And, uh, now they have, I think, a, a larger system. Um, uh, Jake will be here tomorrow, so I can talk to him then about what that is. But uh, So it's probably a combination of those breweries. They've grown mm -hmm. larger and are able to make so much more, and then the dilution of so much more well, I think there's, beer available. there's also this, the fact of what happened to me when I said I used to do this a long time ago and get beer from Europe and get beer from California and everything and my wife sat me down and was like dude you're spending $600 a month on beer <laughs> we can't afford stop that stop it stop <laughs> it like you can buy a Mercedes bad Adrian yeah, right. bad <laughs> but at some point you, you start realizing how much you're actually spending because it's really easy to go and be like oh my god this beer is great I'm going to yeah. go buy like a case or two cases of it or whatever and I can get some for some friends or I can send some and trade but you're still spending the money that can be a hard bill to float sometimes you know constantly yeah so maybe it's, it's also people uh, wallet fatigue yeah exactly yeah it's a good it's a, it's a good term for it so we're going to take a real quick break to sure. um, thank our sponsors, and then um, we'll come back and talk about the first, uh, so what, you said 2015 mm -hmm. you opened, yep. so your first four years of business, sure. uh, the general philosophy of your beers, Definitely. and uh, just chat more. Time to get a beer then? Uh, yeah, do? yeah we may I, as well. Let me get you some. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. So first I'll start out by saying thank you for pouring me some Castle in Brooklyn mm, that Graham didn't make, wasn't able to make the connection <laughs> to, despite him saying that's one of his favorite bands. Because uh, this, <laughs> this is absolutely delicious. Thank you. I love that beer. Um, how large of a brew house do you have? We have a 15 barrel. 
Did, and you, did you go straight to a 15 barrel? Yes. Did you? Yes. Um, well, our, our tanks are 30s, um, but the uh, the brew house is a 15. Mash ton is uh, mash louder combo is oversized to uh, 25. Uh, that just allows us to make more efficient, larger beers is all that is for. Um, but yeah, straight from the get-go, I wanted to go. I knew anything below seven was going to be way too much work um, for the money that you get out of it, uh, you know, in the return on, on what you do and how much effort you put into it. 30 for my model, which is very different. Um, when, when, when I came out, it was extremely different. Now it's becoming more, and not that I started it, other people have been doing it, but... Is that the taproom distribution or taproom sales as opposed to going it's, it's into... It's not really having core beer thing. It's okay. always changing beers. Um, oh, yeah, because if you're making yeah. 30 barrels of something, it's going to be around a lot longer than right. being so, able to chur- yeah. turn over new stuff constantly. Yeah, so when we started, we would just do 15 barrels worth of beer. And then because we wanted our IPAs to stay fresh and we wanted them to be gone within you know 45 days, like hopefully 30, but some of them stick around a little longer. Um, and as the demand grew, you know, kept going, then we would double batch them and we would make 30. But no matter how popular your tasting room really is, you're, it's, it's hard to sell 60 barrels of it out of your yeah. tasting room. So you would have to go to distro and, and I've always said it's got to go to the right distro. So we allocate all of our beers um, to the right restaurants or to the right bars, to the right places. So... We don't have six-month-old IPA sitting in uh, on the shelf at Total Wine. Yeah, wow. Um, you know? Well, this is absolutely delicious. It does not taste like a beer that would be as delicious at correct six months from now because there are a lot of yes, correct delicate flavors yes. in it, and they will all fade off and it will become just a shell of itself. So we want them to be served and sold fresh. Cans are only available here, correct? here and very very small amounts every once in a while in the richmond area okay yeah we, we work with reverie down there and they they come up and they'll pick up uh some cans and they'll bring them down there um how many how many cases do you usually can whenever for for your releases so we'll do we were doing around nine barrels worth and we're we're starting to do about six to seven barrels worth of cans um which case equivalency i I gotta think about that for a little bit yeah i'm definitely not capable of that math (laughs) (laughs) um so we're trying to get it just right so that there's enough when people don't have to be here right at release day there's enough for it to last you know a week um but we also don't want an ipa sitting in cans longer than it's on draft and that has happened a couple of times so um that's either the beer wasn't that great people didn't like it didn't have enough hype to it or whatever it is to maybe we did too much in cans of that particular beer so we we're trying to tweak that always so the that's something i've been wondering too when uh, do you have a strong understanding uh, like when you come out with a beer the how well it's going to sell and have you had beers that you were like, this beer tastes phenomenal, but for some reason it's not selling yep. nearly as well as a beer that you made that you weren't necessarily the most proud of? <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot. There's a lot of confusion of what actually happens and what doesn't. The The biggest one is always going to be if you do a collaboration with somebody and it's a well-known name in the, in the, in the beer geek world, that's going to fly out. Like when we do our collab with the Veil vale every year, 
I mean, it's there's lines out the door, and it's like you know, typical day for them, but not for us. We we don't yeah really do that. Um, and you know, all the cases we'll do 190 cases or something, or 200 cases, and they'll all be gone in like four or five hours. And then we'll make a beer that's for the first time we ever make it, and we're experimenting with a recipe, and then it came it comes out awesome but it doesn't have a name it doesn't have a history it doesn't have anything and people kind of pass it up they're just like oh that's not cool my friends aren't gonna think that's awesome if they bring it to a yeah bottle share or whatever so i I mean i don't know it's there's lots of factors uh you know some of our favorite beers are our lagers that we do i mean all the awards we've ever won are for our lagers and our sunnyside ipa or sorry pilsner is um we keep that in cans and it's it sits i mean it's fine that's a beer that can sit for yeah. a while so that's okay but it's just amazing to me you know that it does like this this beer here is probably one of my favorite ones um i'm drinking lamp it's another pilsner that one just came out right this one just came out is that um, new or is it just a re release second time we've done it okay yeah it's a cool can too looks like a yeah. lava lamp yeah um so that that to me is is just it's crazy like this beer you can drink all day long and it's good but people don't buy pilsners in cans you know i, I, I mean, want at least not the people we that that trend seems to be growing a little bit more um and from like what uh, reading on instagram or online and stuff that now that um Pilsners and other loggers have a cool name associated with them. I'll put cool in air quotes. Mm-hmm. With everyone. But now that they're just referred to as crispy boys, <laughs> maybe maybe they'll become more popular now. And then uh, you're on the forefront of the it, it would be nice. new trend. It would be nice. And I wouldn't say I'm on the forefront either. There's been breweries making awesome yeah. loggers for a long time. And it's it's a shame. But... I mean, I can tell you what happens when we go to, like, big festivals, when we go to Hunapu, and when we go down to Wakefest, and when we do, like, all these really crazy, awesome events. If I show up there, I'll show up with IPAs and stuff for the for the crowd. If I show up there without cases of Pilsner for the brewers, they get mad. <laughs> they seriously, they're like, go back and get it now. Yeah, for a long time, I just thought, like, any brewery that like had a showcase pilsner you're just brewing them for each other we are yeah for, <laughs> for the moment you're right or for yourselves <laughs> right. there's something to or, drink or, on i through. mean in that and then there's also the people because our pilsners usually our second best seller out of the tasting room um every week IP, newest ipa is always first seconds our pilsner third is the ipa from last week so it's goes to industry people um and then it also goes to people who were dragged to a brewery by their friend that don't <laughs> like me, IPAs. Yeah, give me the beer that tastes like beer. Yeah. So, um, which is a very large percentage of the yeah. population. Uh, so there's no shortage of people for it. So I, I don't know why. I, I, I hope it catches on because it's, I, I'm in love with them. But so do you, do you sell them mainly in draft then mm-hmm. as opposed to cans? Right. Yeah, because people aren't going to get excited over. Although, I mean, Lamp would make a beautiful Instagram post. So it, <laughs> it would. Uh, and, and some of the regulars have eventually started switching. Not not switching all the time. Like the regulars will come in and they'll they'll try to drink. Like they'll go through the different IPAs, or they'll have one IPA that they really like. 
But now they tend to always finish off with a couple of Pilsners or something like that. And then they're starting to really like the Pilsners. And then now you're starting to see them come in and asking for that first. Which is kind of cool. And I like seeing that because there's really nothing wrong with it. It's awesome. Yeah. It tastes incredible. And I'll have to pour you one soon so you'll like it too. The last time I was here, well, I didn't have a lamp, but I had a sunny um, side. Sunny side. Yep. I was, it was really good. But it was the last one I drank because yep. it was like... Could have one more if it's low, right, ABV, right, and right. it's kind of like a nice, uh, cool your palate it down. Is. And if I drink, you know, IPAs all day long when I'm talking to people or having meetings or something like that, I'm going to be sloshed by yeah. three o'clock in the afternoon. I can't get any work done. So. Yeah, so it, it would kind of uh, make it impossible to work right. at a brewery or run a brewery. Yeah, um, I remember one time we had, uh, when Mike McCarthy was here um, as our head brewer, I showed up at like nine in the morning and he had taken these little uh, snifter glasses and he pulled um, samples from every barrel that we had barrel-aged stouts in and, and and there was probably like 16 of them. So we had to do our, t- our tasting notes at nine o'clock in the morning. By the time I was done... At 10 o'clock, I was like, I'm just going to go home now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Call me an Uber. (laughs) Yep. I need a nap. (laughs) Yep. Uh, When you opened, did you hire a head brewer right away, or did you work as the head brewer at first? I worked as the head brewer at first, um, and I was lucky enough to uh, meet up with Mike, who um, actually, him and I went to college together. We knew each other then, but we had lost touch in between. He was working at DC Brow. and uh, out of nowhere, he, he sent me an email saying, hey, I heard you're opening a brewery. And we had some mutual friends, and they uh, put him in contact with me. And Mike has, like, so much experience brewing, like, professionally brewing. For, I think he's going on 20 years now, if not more. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so he, he knew the he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. So for me, who was coming from a home brew system, there's a lot of things I didn't know how to do. I knew the basic res- recipes and procedures of, of making the beer. I didn't know how to use caustic and how to use acid and the different pressures that are yeah. going to be happening. And you had a little bit more than a homebrew system, though. I, I did, but, <laughs> but still not to this level. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is dangerous level. You know, we're, yeah, we're talking but, about a thousand gallons of 190 degree water that can splash on you and kill you in, in a minute. Yeah, because um, now you're working with things that that are what the typical causes of accidents in yes, a brewery: right. high pressure. Right. valves or right. closures failing and hitting you with extremely hot water or the right. the tons of caustic right uh, or if, or cleaners if, you know, you're our, using our dump valve in the fermenter gets plugged with hops on a homebrew scale it's not going to be that big a deal here you're losing weeks worth of fermentation time you're losing possibly an entire tank of beer you're losing a lot of stuff and the knowledge of knowing how to deal with a lot of those things was something like brought that was i'll be forever grateful for so so i think it was here that i saw a video of yeah, a tank volcano. yeah what was that during a dry hopping that that happened yeah that was a dry hopping in that i don't think people realize that happens a lot that's what i, I think um, in those um the comments to mm-hmm. the video it was just like everyone who um worked yeah. at a brewery was like it's really no big deal this right. is this yeah. is what happened the only thing that made that particular video so like dramatic was that justin it was his first time dry hopping with this poor guy he was he was so like upset that that happened um 
he got the hatch down and got one hook. So it's almost like putting your thumb on a hose. Oh. So, so if he had kept the door open, it just would have like like yeah, overflowed like a, a little like, bit. Like it just goes overflows. Exactly. So it he did it perfectly ground. to make it as dramatic yeah. as possible. <laughs> right. And all of that, I mean, we ended up, that was, that was sunny side. And so normally we'll end up with about 30 barrels of yield on that. We ended up with like 28 barrels of yield on that. So it, not a lot of beer. I mean, it looks like a lot, but yeah. not a lot goes out. It just, a lot of it's foam and a lot of it. It's just spraying so thinly. So how do you re- uh, how um, do you recover from that? Is it just that it dies down eventually, and then you can seal it off, or do you have to try to yeah. seal it off while no, it's still? No, you, you just gotta let it do its thing. Okay, and and that's just from from the nucleation that happens. So yeah. the the beer in solution had carbon dioxide in it, so it was already carbonated, naturally carbonated, and we like to cap our beer during a certain part of fermentation so that we can capture as much natural carbonation as we can. Because I've seen people tell you, oh, you should have roused it and you should have knocked off the carbonation. But what's the point of trying to capture some of that and then knocking it all off just to go and dry hop? So if he had done it quickly, and like we always do, and, and sealed it off, no issue whatsoever. I mean, we do that daily. Yeah. It just it took a little bit of extra time for him to close that thing. It's happened to me. I mean, I was I think the first few months I was doing it, I was up at the top and I dumped it in a whole bunch and I'm looking down in there and I'm like, Wow, that's pretty cool. Check it out. It's all foaming up. And then something <laughs> in my head's like, Close the freaking door now. Close it, close it, close it. And I try to go to close it and the thing said, Nope. And it popped it open and fell all over me. But I mean it happens. I've pretty much any brewer it's like riding motorcycle either people that have been down or the people that are yeah. gonna go down it's it's the same thing it made for a cool video yeah <laughs> i didn't like it at first but then yeah. afterwards i'm like you know what whatever i don't care it's, it's fine the um i i before we were talking about how great home brewing brewing and brewers are but how many um home brewers let you know how you could have prevented and caused that oh, to I've, not happen. I've, I've, I've heard it all. And none, it's like they just don't understand what it was. The, the only thing that could have prevented it the way that we do things is him putting the hatch, putting yeah. it in the hops faster and closing the hatch faster. That's it. I just always like, there's been, it's been a long time since I've taken like an actual tour of a brewery. <laughs> um, but I'm always amazed whenever like I'm on a tour and then someone who had identified themselves as a home brewer will then like start giving suggestions to the brewery. Like, have oh, you yeah. tried this? Have you tried, like, they probably have. Well, it's like <laughs> it's like the tech industry. Remember, there's always the that one-upmanship oh, in the tech yeah. industry. You go to one of these conferences, and like, you, no matter what you do, somebody's done it bigger and better. And like, what? Why? What is that gaining us? Like, let's learn together, or just you don't have to be a douche. Yeah, I, I that's that would be a really good shirt. Um, Don't be it, a douche. Yeah, it's it's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, um, I think this week we'll release part two, um, which when people are listening, to this will be a couple weeks ago. So who knows? What, but I had interviewed um, a guy who owns a brewery in Sweden. Okay, and he had a. Um, shirt that said i think it's a try not to suck or just don't suck or something okay. like that and i was like well i mean that's great that's great life advice mm-hmm. just don't suck who is the brewery <laughs> um something unpronounceable by my american <laughs> vocabulary fair enough right. so yeah i can't remember 
Because it was two that day. There was a Swedish brewery and then there was a German brewery. The German one was like Libertus something, but the Swedish okay. one had a lot of the <laughs> and like things that I was not capable of pronouncing. Too many consonants in a row. Yeah. <laughs> I know a couple of Swedish breweries there. Mostly are awesome people. Oh, he was yeah. an awesome guy. He, I mean, he grew up in Chicago. Okay. And then I, I'm a horrible person because I asked him all these questions. I don't remember the answers to any of them, but somehow he ended up over there and then started a brewery. Okay. Um, and then now they're, they're, they're one of the craft breweries in Sweden. Awesome. But it, it was interesting listening to all the differences between uh, the U.S. and the... Like, Germany's, like, the 90s in the U.S. Sweden, he said, it's pretty much very similar what the trends there or the trends are what's, what's happening in the U.S. now. Right. But Germany's a good like twenty years behind. They're 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 very stubborn on the styles that they will stick to and how what proper beer could or should be in, in some ways. Um, but there's also the problem of the ingredients. So a lot of IPAs are going to be dependent upon some American hops that they just they can't. They don't get. have access to. Yeah. Um, you know, Australia, New Zealand has some awesome IPA hops too. Um, which they can probably get, but it's, it's those are expensive, man. They're they're, I mean, Nelson is going on the on the third party market for like anywhere from thirty to forty dollars a pound. When you're talking about on a thirty barrel batch, you know, using one hundred and thirty two pounds of it, that gets expensive yeah. really quick. What's well, like I'd always known Galaxy is yeah, it's no secret. Galaxy is yeah. really expensive, yeah. <clears throat> and I was at a brewery recently that had. What was a fairly small box of Galaxy, and they yep. said like we just got this in, and what the, I was like, what do you got like a grand sitting there, yeah. thinking that I was being hyperbolic, and, right. was, and he was like, yeah, it was like eight hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, it's yep. even more expensive than I thought yep. it was. <laughs> I was at a brewery once, and uh, I've never seen this before. It's like FedEx came in with like an escort. And I'm like, what's going on? And the brewer like popped down and. You know, went to sign for, and he had to show ID and all this other kind of stuff. And it was this box; it was probably like two feet by like I don't know, eight inches tall or something like that. And I'm like, "What's that about?" He goes, "Because there's forty-six thousand dollars worth of vanilla in this." Oh my god! <laughs> Jeez! In this little tiny box, right? It was just. I'm like, oh, that. That's another right. one of those things like you would never expect vanilla to be as mm-hmm. expensive as it is, and if. It's shot up in price recently too, right? Yeah, I think the demand for it's been so high. Um, so you damn breweries want to put vanilla in everything. Not me. I mean, we, we do <laughs> we do a couple like once a year, twice a year. See, I, 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 don't do I that actually that much. Jailbreak. Yeah. Recently had um, a ma- an IPA with mango and vanilla in it, and mm-hmm. it was really I good. I bet. Yeah. Justin's doing <clears> good <throat> stuff up there. Said so I was a big fan of that one. Um. So the have you from the beginning did you you seem to have a not maybe a complete focus but a strong focus on hazy IPAs and close in that genre has it always been that way from when you opened or no, no not at all kind of moving towards is it your preference or yes. the consumer driven no it's it's um, me and it's our head brewer Jack um, and other staff too. Um, it's what we want to drink and we we've constantly evolved so when we started we were doing more of a, of a clear I wouldn't exactly call it West Coast IPA because 
it wasn't West Coast IPA. It was really not West Coast, but that's what people categorized us as. Um, but we always just make moves and change and decide, hey, that, that was good, but what if we did that a little softer? What if we did that a little more bitter? What if we did that a little more this? And we just recreate things. So we've done close to 300 different beers in four years. And I would, um, I would say anyone who hasn't had Ocelot, you should try him because one, even though I think, so the current issue of our magazine came out and I brought a guy who typically only drinks wine and I take him play, you met him briefly. I think he bailed out quickly. Um, he's a wine snob. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I make him drink beer and try different beers and, one of the, it was the first time when I was here that I got like a whole flight of things. And that I think the day we were here, you just sold out of like a bunch of the different things. So it was almost a flight of all hazy IPAs, but they all tasted different. Right. There's so many breweries you can go to and everyone is like, you couldn't really differentiate right. the difference between them. Um, I appreciate you noticing that. So there, there's, there are breweries that just take the basic same beer recipe and just change a hop and call it something else. We don't do that at all. I mean, if, if we if we're even remotely close to another beer as far as recipe goes, we'll we will make sure we name it in a similar fashion, like we did uh, home, and then we did elsewhere, and it was the same grist, but we changed the hops and the can art was identical, but the colors were reversed, kind of thing. So yeah. we, we make sure we, we we pay homage to that to know that it's different because we try really hard to be different in every beer we do. And there's no hop burn. Which I also appreciate. You wait until your beer's done to serve it. Yes. <laughs> which costs us money. I mean, we, we, we wait up to four weeks on an IPA, which is unheard of in some of these other breweries. They, they'll do 12 days, 14 days, I mean, 21 days tops, and we're doing like 30 days. But even our regulars, so when we first opened, we were doing three-week IPAs. Our regulars would come in, and they would always order the newest IPA. And then after a while... I was like, hey, you want the new one? They're like, no, I'll take last week's new one. And they started telling me, like, it's if I wait a week, I know it's going to be better. So I'm going to wait a week and then try it. I'm like, there's something there, you know, so. Yeah, I was, there was <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, um, I, I was talking to a brewery and we were talking about possibly doing a beer together. And we were joking around that we, we were just going to name it, give it a week. There you go. <laughs> because that that seems to yeah. be said so often. Yeah. But it, I, I'm always under the, the same thing. It's like the brewer should decide when that beer is going to be drinking properly. That's why I'm not a big fan of, of barrel age, of cellaring uh, beers too. I mean, there are a couple of beers that are meant to be cellared and get better. But for the most part, you're killing that beer. Yeah. To all the people out there that have sellers, I'm sorry, man. You're doing it wrong. Like, you're you're ruining your beer. Yeah, all those and I had one. I had 400 and bottles, and I had shit collected from all over the place. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm killing the beer. For what? So that my shelf looks cool? Like, <laughs> and the one good thing that came of it, when you had all those beers, I started having games with friends and being like, all right, you go in the cellar, pick out any two beers you want to bring them out, put them behind your back, and the whole group will pick, like, left hand or right hand. And then that's what we're drinking. No matter what, nothing was off the table. And that made it fun, enjoying the beers, you know? And that's what they should be for, not internet points for how much you have in your cellar. There are a couple that 
do better. And the brewer will tell you that usually. Drink it after this date or store it up to two years or whatever. I think, though, in, <clears throat> in some ways, though, there's a, um, a counter philosophy of that that's almost detrimental where like, I've seen people refer to a beer that's a month old as being too old and not fresh anymore. Right. And like if <clears throat> if someone says something about it not tasting right and like, well, what do you expect? That that beer was released a month ago. Right. Like, well, <laughs> me personally, I expect the beer to still taste <laughs> right after a month 30 days should be you you should be able to enjoy the beer yeah but some some are meant to be drink really fresh some are meant i mean it depends on the style obviously yeah yeah, an ipa i wouldn't think of unless it's 120 minute which to me that's one of those beers that when it's super fresh it's awesome and then it has to be five years old and then it's awesome again, but everywhere in between, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, see, I'm not a fan of that. It's just too super boozy. fresh or super old. It's an incredible beer. See, I think I've only ever had it in the what you would dictate the the, the not window. yeah the not good range. So maybe that's why. Maybe I should try to find some really old ones to try. Because and and keep in mind though, after five years, it's not really an IPA. I mean, it's more of just barley wine, pretty much. Yeah. Which is, and I think that's what what I didn't like about it is like I'm not a fan of barley wines, and when I drank it, even for as for whatever freshness it was at, yeah, it, it just made me think it was a barley wine. Right. Like the only barley wines I really like are ones that have that are super old and mm-hmm. have just completely mellowed out. Some can be over the top. I I was not a fan of barley wines for a while until um. I tried, uh, my brother sent me a bottle of Abacus, the first uh, Firestone, now it's Sukaba, I think. Um, and it blew me away. I'm like, what the heck is this? And I just sensed that I've become a huge barley wine fan. But some of them have tried to become over the top with what they do. And stylistically, the British and the American versions have now you know, separated more, so, and they're different. So what is, are Hazy IPAs your favorite style? Or, or pilsners. I don't really, I don't really have one. Um, I, I, I love all beers really. I mean, the only beers I do not like are pumpkin beers. I and agree. Smoke beers. So, is it just pumpkin beers or pumpkin pie beers with like the spices and stuff? Or if it's just made from like a gourd, you don't even like it? No, because pumpkin <clears throat> itself really doesn't have a flavor profile. Originally, it was used in beer because there wasn't enough malt. Yeah. So it was roasted and it was used for the sugars and it was made, but you wouldn't get a flavor yeah, from so it. Yeah, so those ones I'm completely fine with, yeah. but I cannot stand when you have nutmeg no. and all those other spices in a beer. I mean, I'll I'll drink two to four ounces a year and be like, all right, I'm done. But like smoked beers, don't get me close to those. I I'm also in 100 agreement with that smoke part. Smoked beers should not exist, and they're an abomination they to a delicious liquid. <laughs> Graham apparently disagrees with me. Um, I've had that argument with a bunch of people, and it just ends with me telling them they're wrong, and we don't need to go any further. <laughs> Every other style, I, I can, I can, I can enjoy, um, and it depends on the day. Today's a pilsner day. Tomorrow might be stout i mean we got next week we have our five percent uh milk stout coming out and it'll all be on nitro and i'll probably just be drinking that for a week that's probably that sounds so that was um after my second daughter was born all my wife drank was um left hands nitro milk stout excellent beer she wanted me to get her a guinness i when i ran to the store 
um, I don't know if they were out or like the left hand was just closer and mm-hmm. I was like, well, I want to try this. And then she was like addicted uh, for several yeah. months afterwards and just drank nothing that is, but that. That is good stuff. Um, would you like to try some beach drink? Yes, I would. So while I'm pouring this, um, do you want to give a rundown of maybe some things you have um, coming out, coming up that people should uh, keep an eye out for? I can try to remember what we got coming out. Um, let's see. This week, tomorrow, actually, we have um, our collaboration with Crooked Run. Um, it's I'm excited in, for that it's one. It's an IPA that we um, he used his new place, the, the, um, uh, the new restaurant that he has right next door, to puree a bunch of grapefruits, rind and all. And we used that in the IPA uh, during fermentation. And I always love doing anything with Crooked Run. Those guys are incredible people. And Did you have group, group therapy? It just came out last no, week. No, I have not. No. It is super good. Is I had one of those last night. It was when, when I first had it, I was uh, semi disappointed. So Graham's just going to walk right in front of the camera to grab. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. Cheers. I, I first tried and I was slightly disappointed because I had, um, cheers, high, ex- high hopes for it. And I think it just, it's one of those beers that needs to warm up a tad to op- like open up the flavors because. Once it had been Ooh, tasty. poured for a little while, it was phenomenal. This is really good. Thank you. I had minimal involvement with the actual brewing. Um, Kenny, who you know, mm-hmm. is a phenomenal brewer. Another genius in the field and the, one of the nicest guys you'll probably ever meet in the industry. Kenny Allen, so he's helped me a ton. I mean, when I, when I was starting and didn't know anything from being a professional brewer and, and met him when he was up at um, Old Ox. He just opened up and just said, whatever you want to know, just talk to me. It was funny. We, this came about where um, I think you know, you know Brendan, right? Because he was part of the – I think he belonged to the homebrew club. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, he was this part of this homebrew club. Yeah. yeah. So we were talking about doing – he asked me if I was interested in doing a collaboration. So when we were talking about what we were going to make, mm-hmm. um, we – came upon like i'd really love strawberry lemonade goza okay and when he was looking at his um brew schedule he said it was like okay we'll release we can brew this day and it'll come out like mid uh june i was like that's perfect i'll be able to take it to the beach with me i'm headed to the outer banks like all right that's the name beach drink i'm like well that is a perfect name and then he was like i can just picture on the can a picture of you sitting on the beach drinking. yeah a, a picture of you drinking a and glass boom. with an umbrella and a straw in it and i was like there it is all right well and then at that moment i was like that's all i want in life is my face <laughs> on a beer can um and then it was when when i was driving from frederick down to rockville mm-hmm. Up until that point, all I was was completely excited that my face was going to be on a beer can. Right. And then for some reason, it just popped into my head. It was the first. I was driving I'd down there. I'd be scared, there. by the way, if somebody <laughs> put my face on <laughs> we, Well, I was driving down there where we were going to um, uh, do experiments on how much lemon juice we wanted to add, add in after it fermented on the strawberries. And for some reason, it just popped into my head at that point, like, Wait, what if it's not good? <laughs> or like, what my if, face will yeah, be like, associated with what if I don't? Beer. What if I don't like this beer? <laughs> and my face is on it, and 
I've been talking about it constantly, but thankfully, it came out great. Kenny is an amazing brewer. He really is. And so is Brian, the assistant brewer there. And I tried it, and it tasted great without the lemon yeah. in it. And then adding the lemon in it just made it even better. Kenny's one of those dudes. He's no, he's not going to make something bad. Yeah, I mean, he, he just knows too much to, well, to allow that, it to go bad. And I think that's probably why too. Like it had never popped in my mind because I never had a true respite beer that I didn't like. Yeah. So it could, but for some reason it just popped into my head. It's like, wait, what if this is bad? <laughs> but thankfully, it turned out great. It so did. I can be proud yes. that my. Did you keep some? I still have. Yeah, I mean, I still have not a whole lot left, but. You show it to your daughter when she's older and be like, Daddy was on a beer can. Oh, they already think it's... <laughs> they, they also, they don't recognize like how easy it is just to put videos on the internet too. <laughs> so they think I'm way more important than I You're am. You're a rock just star. Be, yeah, just because I have... And, or the, in that I have um, a magazine that mm-hmm. I'm in. Uh, it, but it also gave me the ability... My, my eldest daughter took a picture of a dog... For, uh, that one of the distillers in Frederick owns, and uh-huh. so I, I got to put that photo in the nice. magazine. So my that's very cool. My nine year old is a published photographer. She's just go. as accomplished as Graham, <laughs> who didn't know the Beastie Boys there. Yeah. And <laughs> 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 if my my wife was on the front of the newspaper for this high school program that she's one of the people that run. And so, like, she showed it to our daughter and, like, rightfully very proud about yeah. it. And instantly my daughter was like, well, so Daddy has an entire magazine. Oh. <laughs> so that's throwing shade, Graham. <laughs> so I'm glad you like it because I, 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 I always uh, – this is the second episode I brought a can with to share. And I'm always nervous, like, what if they don't like it too? Nah. <laughs> I like all beer. I mean, for a while when I was uh, when I was still trading beers, I used to ask for home brews. Like I just, uh, why not? Like I, I like trying different stuff and and figuring out in my head how how that's made or why it tastes the way it does. And this is um, this is a beer that a beach drink that I found I like it a lot more when it's warm. Okay, because the strawberry flavor comes out so much it's, more it's, in the strawberry is hard flavor to get out you need a lot of strawberry yeah well, it, i can't remember the exact amount but it was a lot of strawberry used you can taste it though and smell it it's good so the and you you do a decent amount of sours also right we, we try to it always falls behind because it holds up the brew house for a while and we yeah, you have a two two days yeah to, uh, brewing and then is there it's not any longer in the tank though right it's just that no in the tank brew. it's it's the brew house that gets yeah. held up because we bring everything back into the kettle and we have to purge that out and then let the lacto uh, lactobacillus do its thing and then from there boil it again and knock it out then we clean everything even though technically it should be clean because it's boiled but we do we clean everything um, to get it back up and running so it can it can take up four or five days sometimes with the whole process from start to finish just to make one for 15 barrels. So um, a 30 barrel is going to be really hard for us to pull off. So for the longest time, um, one of my most liked photos on Instagram was of Purple Rain. Nice. I think it's the combination of the it was beautiful can artwork and then the bright 
color of the beer itself. Thank you. Did you ever see the the art spread out? I showed yeah, it to you, you showed yeah you showed it to me. Which it's I, hard to see on the can. It, it's impossible. Yeah. Like I I didn't notice at all. It was it, for anyone that hadn't seen it. It has if you see it laid out flat, you can tell that it has a prints. It prints yeah. in kind of like a silhouette right. of him. But when it's on the can, with see not it. seeing the whole thing, you can't really. It doesn't jump out at you. Yeah, that was a fun beer. So, um, you talked about the Crooked Run mm-hmm. collab you have coming up. Did yeah, we have Mr. Kite coming out this week as well, which is a Nelson and Citra IPA, um, which is one of my favorites that we do. Uh, it's a little bit softer than Home. Home is a, a rye IPA we do with Nelson, Nelson and Citra. This has a lot of oats in it, um, and it's Nelson and Citra. Uh, different uh, base grain as well. Um, slightly different hop schedule, but it's one of my favorite ones we do. And that's from the Beatles, so Mr. Kite. I'm trying to, I can't think of that uh, song. That's where we, we recently just got a dog. We mm-hmm. named her Lucy. Nice. She's named after yeah. Lucy. In the Same album, just a few songs more in the album. So my... Although my my four year old just calls her Lucy flying in the sky with diamonds, <laughs> I, um, I think that uh, run out of questions I had. Do you have anything else that you'd like to? Anything else coming up, or anything else you want to discuss? Um, no, not really. I mean. Just, I mean, you ask me, I'll answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an open book. I don't, you know me, I don't really promote anything. So we just, we are, we just exist. I I, th- I don't think you give yourself enough credit though, because you definitely are a very popular brewery. It Well, so I, actually. I appreciate I, that. But we, we, we try to just, we try to just do the right thing all the time. Like with everything. We try to try, we try to think about everybody. We try to think about what's going to be fun and my my main motto here is we're not in the business of making beer we're in the business of making people happy and that goes across the board and that 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 exists from the staff that's up front to the beer in the back to the the entire experience that somebody's going to have they they come here to to have a good time they don't come here to get upset they don't come here to work they don't come here to they come here to to relax to have a good time to be happy and that's what i want to always do and i bet you there are probably a lot of cynical people listening to that thing like you're just paying lip service that's pure nah. stuff but i mean the the one day i was here the first day i met you that you graciously sat down and talked to me for quite a while and it, it was when you, um like mo- the brewing staff and a lot of people it was at the end of the day mm-hmm. every one of your employees came and gave you a hug before they left mm-hmm. and i was like it's just amazing I've never seen people who enjoyed where they worked they're, they're my family, or they man. who they worked for so much that they like I'm just shocked that a lot of them on their <coughs> days off they come and hang out. It's like what job did you ever have where it's your day off and you're like, I'm going to work? I'm like what? Um I haven't had that one yet. Well, I mean I <laughs> But I, they do. I, I do which this is, part of my job awesome. often when I'm off, so yeah. I guess yeah, I kinda do, good. but so, I, I'm not going in and And I have a one rule with them and that's like if you don't feel like being here today get out go home we'll cover for you because if you're in a bad mood or if you don't feel like being here that's going to be infectious to everything to the to the staff to the to the to the customers 
and that's not what we're about and that's really like my only rule like everything else goes after that whatever i don't care and i i feel like a lot of people say that or they talk about like their business like everyone's family but like i witnessed it firsthand like every your employees obviously have a very high opinion and um care about you we're just because i know i would not at the end of the day give my boss a hug (laughs) (laughs) well i I like to think of this i mean like we're, we're it's my family here i mean without them i don't exist they they work their asses off yeah when they need to and when there's other times that they don't you know it's not busy or whatever i don't care what they're doing like do whatever you want like i remember when i was a kid and i worked at mcdonald's for my first job it was it was always the saying if you're leaning you should be cleaning right I, I'm not trying to get the most out of my hourly wage. I'm trying to get the most yeah. out of the happiness of, of the people because that's infectious and that goes around everywhere. So, um, how many breweries is Loudon at now? Last time I looked, I it was like, like 30. I should know this. It's like 32 or 33, I think, maybe. Okay, so it's it's <clears throat> it's been a little while since one opened. A, a yeah, new one it opened. slowed down a little okay. bit. Yeah, and it's still a lot yeah. for not a humongous area. Yeah. Um, when you opened, how many were there? Were there? There was Rhino. There was Old Ox had just opened about six months prior, I think. Um, Adroit Theory was open. Uh, Corcoran was open. Um, Vanish I'm, I'm probably missed. No, Maybe. Vanish wasn't open okay. yet. Um, that might, that might be it. So you were, you're I'm like sure one of the, somebody. one of the first gen Loudon breweries. I'd call me or, second gen. I think okay. Rhino is going to always be able to claim the credit of the first gen because, because they, Rhino the and Adroit. Cause um, Rhino no. first. I mean, Rhino's been around yeah, for they've a long been, time and you know, um, Matt and Favio was there at the time. They, they paved the way for, for a lot of us to, to be here and to do stuff and. I'll, I'll never forget that. We, Jasper worked over there. You're going to talk to him soon. Okay. He worked over at Rhino for a while. He was a head brewer after Fabio left, but he was always doing his yeast and stuff like that out of there. Um, after that, I think probably the Gen 2 crowd with with Ox and Adroit. And, uh, I know I'm missing somebody. It'll come to me probably after we're done talking. Um, oh, well, Corcoran, actually. Cor- Corcoran was probably one of the first ones, too, because... Jim had a cidery and a winery, and he helped write a lot of ABC laws, actually. He helped keep, pave the way for, for 604 to happen in Virginia. So, There's the um, the one farm brewery, Old... Uh, is it Old, old 690? Yeah, yep. they were one of the early on they ones, were, weren't they? they were, I think they were just after us or right okay. around the same time, maybe. Um, and then they opened uh, Harper's Ferry. Okay. So that's them as well. Yeah, I've heard that place is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And then they they um, they have the former brewer from Manor Hill in Maryland is the brewmaster there now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, from nice. From what I understand, at least. It's not Ben, hand. right? No, Ben's... Where's Ben at now? Ben's in Gettysburg at okay. a brewery named Four Score that's about to open. Okay. Like gotcha. any, any day now. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's who... Who replaced Ben after Ben left? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Manor Hill was that was I was I was blown away. That place is beautiful. It was my first time going a few weeks ago. We did a collab with them. Um, wow, what a beautiful piece yeah. of property and, and so nice. The people are awesome. And also, it's one of those places that when you're driving up to, like 
you feel like you're lost. Like I, you don't expect a brewery to end. Like I had my GPS on and I still hit the dead end. And I'm like, where the hell am I? <laughs> and I had to look at my rearview mirror and I saw like the little sign. I was like, oh, and I turned down the road and you drive down and um, they have chickens. So I will point out too, um, the article that Trevor wrote about drinking here. He did have one complaint mm-hmm. about uh, the location. Yep. Because uh, Trevor doesn't understand the charm of a brewery that's in a um, <laughs> in a, right in, in an industrial area. He's yeah. used to his fancy wineries, or he goes so, to vanish a lot. Which so is <laughs> it's it's pretty simple, actually. Uh, in oh no, st- he liked the interior yeah, and yeah, like yeah. all the no, painting and stuff. The, it was the, the, in, in the state of Virginia, we're considered manufacturing, which we should. Um, so we can only be in places that are zoned for manufacturing, okay. unless you live in a township or some local government overrides that. So if we went to Herndon, for, per se, because they have a township or a false town of false church or something like that, we, we could lobby to be in a different location in a more frontal you know, place or whatever. Or we could be a farm brewery and have a thing like Vanish has or Quattro Goomba has or, or, yeah. or, or a lot of places like that, um, Dirt Farm and Bear Chase. I mean, really, things. I just brought so, it up as a point to... Say so you really shouldn't pay we, any attention we, to what Trevor we have, we says. Have no, we have no choice. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, we can't. We cannot legally do this in a strip mall. See, that's uh, interesting. I didn't know that about Virginia. Is that Loudoun County or is that Virginia? It's Virginia as a, as a okay. whole. But local uh, government can overrule that. So, okay. for instance, like down in um, uh, Southern Virginia, so like Devil's Backbone and that whole corridor local government was like okay you guys you have this whole corridor you guys go over there and it's like that alcohol alley or whatever and it's like <laughs> cideries and breweries and, and everything going all the way down so they were allowed to do that over there and it's just it all depends richmond slightly different i mean richmond also can can dictate what they want and where they're going to be because yeah, they have stuff all over the place all there. over but you the, the zoning in Richmond is also kind of strange too. So, and the ones that are in the commercial strip spots are going to normally have a restaurant associated with them. Because if you have a restaurant, it's different. You're, yeah. you're not getting a brewery license anymore. You're getting a brew pub license or a restaurant license. So, if you're straight manufacturing brewery license up here, you're in a zone. You have to be zoned for manufacturing. Okay. So we're stuck with these brick walls. Now the Which, good side of that is it's cheaper. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the cheapest real estate that's. But out it's there, also so. where the vast majority of craft yeah. breweries are. So right. your target customers right. aren't um, looking like oh I, I don't want to go to a, a industrial yeah. park right. to drink beer. It's, right. That's what they're used to. Yeah. That's what we got to deal with. And I think it's become normal enough, and people have seen it a lot to not like look twice and say, "Why the heck are they?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, in an industrial park, but because we all, we all, most of us are. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, giving me some of your time and sure thing, having us down to the brewery for your delicious beer. Um, and uh, I want to thank everyone for watching and listening. Yeah, thank you guys. Cheers, Absolutely. everybody. Cheers. Drink one of yours. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my god, that's good.